We are continuing our series this morning on Christian theology or doctrines that are hard to believe or that we may have some baggage with. Last week we did sin and next week we're going to do hell and this week in between we're doing predestination. It is predestined that you would be here today. This might be, maybe, the stickiest of our five-week series, but we're going to see what we can do with it together. Our passage is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, and it's a little hard to follow. In Greek, it is all one sentence, and in fact, the sentence goes on for several more verses, so you can imagine how difficult the translation has been. But we're going to work together on it. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10. And if you want to read along, it's in the blue pew Bible in front of you, page 1423. It's page 1423. This is a classic text on predestination, and so I'll try to highlight the verses that people have paused at and thought about over the years. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before the creation of the world. God destined us to be his adopted children through Jesus Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan and to honor his glorious grace that he's given to us freely through the son whom he loves. We have been ransomed through his son's blood and we have forgiveness for our failures based on his overwhelming grace which he poured over us with wisdom and understanding. God revealed his hidden design to us, which is according to his goodwill and the plan that he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God planned for the climax of all time, to bring all things together in Christ, the things in heaven along with the things on earth. The word of God for the people of God. The key line in there that has sparked centuries of conversation is that God chose us in Christ. God destined us to be adopted as children of God through God's love seems like such a small line for such a big doctrine. This is what happens. We get drawn into these mysteries, and we can't find the end of them, and we keep wandering around inside of them. Sometimes it can feel like we're lost, and sometimes it can feel like we find some truth deep down in there. We have an amazingly full service today. 
We get to celebrate where we've been as a church. We get to ordain new folks. We get to hear about where we are financially. So I am going to try to get to the point. <laughs> we're going to do three things today. First, we're going to talk about what predestination isn't. Second, we're going to talk about four views on predestination. And third, I'm going to tell you where I personally land. It doesn't have to be where you land, but I think it's fair for you to know where I land on this. So, what predestination isn't, or what we aren't talking about today? Predestination is not puppetry. It is not God arranging for some people to have horrible suffering while arranging for other people to get the best parking spots at Fred Meyer. That is not what predestination is about. God is in every moment of our lives, but God does not decide each of those moments. God accompanies us through every moment. And predestination is not about the individual moments of our lives. It is about the ultimate in our lives. However you conceive of that, whether that is ultimately heaven or hell, ultimately connection with God or separation, predestination is about the ultimate in our lives. That's what we're talking about this morning. And historically, folks have thought about this question in four different ways. Two are somewhat classic predestination views, and two are at the other end of the spectrum and emphasize human agency over God's power to predestine. So the first and most classic view is that God chooses some people to be with God, God chooses some people for heaven, and the rest are out of luck. And it's not because of anything we do or don't do, we are chosen or not, before we are even born. God has all of the power and chooses some and leaves some behind. And folks, Get that out of this Ephesians passage where Paul says, God chose us. And for some folks, that us implies that there are not us. There are others who are not chosen. This is what most people think about when they think about predestination. That God chooses some for heaven, and by logical extension, some are left out. And it's all up to God. There is a second way of thinking about God having all of the power. That's called universalism. The first is double predestination. God chooses heaven, and God chooses hell. The second is called universalism. God chooses everybody. God loves us all, completely. 
And God's will is that we will all be gathered up, that no one will be separated from God ultimately. God welcomes us all in. Not because of anything we do or anything we don't do. God chooses to bring us all home. And you can find that in Ephesians as well. It says, God planned this for the end of all times, to bring all things together in Christ. All things. Not just some of us, but all of creation. Both of those views on predestination put the power and the initiative with God. We can't screw it up. In the first, we also can't help ourselves. But either way, you can't screw it up. God predestines us, and in universalism, God predestines us for love. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, folks have emphasized human agency. That it's not just God who's involved in this, that it matters what we do. And the guy who first really pushed this line of thought was a guy named Pelagius. So his school of thought is called Pelagianism. And in Pelagianism, what matters is how we act. Faith without works is dead. So it matters if we do good things or bad things. And if we do good things, then we'll go to heaven. And if we consistently do bad things, then we will go to hell. And while many of us might not officially believe this, I think a lot of us are scared it might be true. That puts all the onus on us. We choose. We have power. Then there's one that seeks to thread the needle and walk between the two poles of God's power and our agency. It's sort of half-Pelagianism, so it's called semi-Pelagianism. These are not creative names. It says that God loves all people, loves all people, but you only go to heaven if you accept God's love and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't, then you don't. God is only willing or able, and people differ on which it is, God is only willing or able to save us, to gather us up, to bring us home, if We are willing to do our part. In this, we are somewhat partners. God has some power, and we have some agency. I think this is what the majority of American Christians believe. So we run a spectrum between God's power to choose, and maybe to choose some of us, or maybe to choose all of us, And on the other end, our actions determine our fate. 
That's the spectrum. I grew up with the last of those. The one where God is in love with us, but only willing to save us if I profess with my lips and confess with my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I grew up with. But as an adult, I have changed, and I have come to embrace universalism, which I know is not where we all are, and that's okay. I share this not to say this is where you need to be, but simply because I think it's fair sometimes to know where your pastor stands on things. I have come to embrace universalism because I believe that no matter what, God loves us. And God's will is to embrace us all and nothing can stand in the way of God's will. God chooses all of us, no matter what. My friend Jenny, who I've told you about, she's far wiser than I am, used to do a lot of pastoral care at a very large church. She told me the story of a young woman who came and sat in her office weeping. Now, this woman had sat in Jenny's office many times before, weeping. She had struggled with infertility for years. But this time, the tears were not tears of despair. They were tears of joy. Because she had just learned that there was a child she was going to get to adopt. There was a child in this world who was destined for her. And she didn't know anything about this child. Is this child a boy or a girl? She didn't know. Is this child five hours old or five days old or five months old? She didn't know. Would this child love music or be good with words or be a math whiz? She didn't know. Would this child politely and gently follow the rules? Or would this child look for every loophole and sow chaos everywhere they possibly could? She didn't know. All she knew was that she was going to be this child's parent. And she had decided before everything else that she would love this child. No matter what that child did or didn't do, no matter who that child was or wasn't, she had decided that she would love this child. That's what I think God is like. That's how I think God loves us. You may be somewhere different, and that's okay. What I think is most important is for us to be humble about this. We can't know, not on this side of the grave. So the real question is, how does it help you live? However you understand God's power and your agency in the world, how does it help you live? What makes you scared? 
what relieves your fear? What helps you love your neighbor? What helps you connect with God? Seek those things, and we'll find the kingdom one way or another. That's what Christ promises. But I want you to know, I believe for each of us and for all of us that God loves you. God loves you and chose you from the beginning of the world into all eternity to be God's beloved, holy and beloved, no matter what. Amen.